Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Finn. On today's podcast, myself and Samuel Luckhurst are at Carrington, so apologies for any poor audio quality. We've just been at Eric Ten Hag's uh, press conference. So I just noticed there, so I'm not trailer, Ivor Williams Trailers. Yeah, yes. North, North Wales Company. Right. I used to date Ivor Williams' granddaughter. <laughs> that, I've heard that's this my empire. before. That's my empire. I have heard this before from my you. I didn't, know, I didn't know the connection was, was quite like that. Quite like that. Yeah. That there, there, there will be some, we should uh, add, there will be some background noise on this oh, yeah. podcast with other various media out here on the. It, we're, we're on a balcony overlooking the training pitches. The players will be out in just, just under half an hour's time. I think there's some ground staff out there at the moment. Uh, th- there was a theory, I think, one of our colleagues had in there, looking at that small goal, that that's why United's strong school goals. They're, they're aiming at the wrong goal. But that's that's, that's a pretty bad joke from, from him. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take credit for that. inflatable man over there, that yellow thing. I've yeah. never really seen. Down to our right, you, you've got the more traditional sort Training of... Training cones, training yeah. Goal, sort of yeah. free kicks apparatus. But there's like a inflatable... Almost like, like a balloon. A, maybe an assault course. You've got to bundle through players to get a shot off. Who knows? You've got it all. But yeah, as we were saying, we'll do a little bit of a preview of the Galatasaray game. First of all, Samuel, we were both at Old Trafford on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, United had played well against Palace earlier in the week. That's never an indication it's going to be easy at the weekend. I was going to maybe even say what went right, what went wrong with United at the weekend. It was as bad as we've seen in the season. I, I thought he, I thought Ten Hag got it wrong in terms of dropping Mejbri and going with Palistri again. And then when Palistri was just starting to hit his stride in a five-minute spell, I'd say. It was the last five-minute spell of his afternoon. He was taken off for Garnacho. Garnacho should have come on probably earlier, but the player to have brought him off for would have been Marcus Rashford. Rashford, I'm sure we'll get on to him shortly. But unfortunately, that that performance on Saturday, it just showed how fragile the mentality is of the of this United squad in that they can, they can cut it and they can coast through a game against Palace in the League Cup. But when Palace turn up... United don't turn up in, in the Premier League game. And Palace were well worth their lead at half-time. They were well worth the win they got. They were organised. They didn't strike me as, as, as a particularly obdurate defence when the game started. But bar maybe in the second half, that one cross from Garnacho where it took a couple of deflections, they didn't look particularly unnerved at all. Garnacho was United's best attacker and he was only on the pitch for just over half an hour, I'd have thought. I'm not too sure that would have even warranted a, a recovery session here at Carrington on on the Sunday. But really, the the big problem, I thought, was the attacking, um, the, the three attackers at the start, in that you've got Rashford, who's out of form. Hoyland has got no support. I've spoken before about how it's it's almost, at times it feels it's unfair that he's a Manchester United player, the burden he's having to shoulder. The three best chances dropped to him. He didn't take any of them. That was always going to happen at some point. There'd be a game where he'd miss chances and United would lose. Unfortunately for United, it's happened quite early and the concern will be how how often will this happen this season? And Palistri, as you wrote in your piece as well at the weekend, he is better as a substitute rather than a starter. The midfielders, I thought, th- th- their influence waned after a decent start. I thought Fernandes overall was, was OK, but Casemiro and Mount, again, that's an issue. Amrabat at left back, I think if, if anyone would have realised the difference between League Cup and Premier League, it would have been him because it, he, I mean, he committed probably overall 
three, sorry, five fouls, and, and somehow he only got one book in, and there was a decent, just as the ground staff's coming past, yes. Young uh, part this one, not really, it's about knowing in with them, I, I think there are a few United players who, who move at that pace as well at times uh, when they need to be moving quicker, uh, but, but Amrabat was, was out of his depth. I mean, he, he may be able to play at full-back, but you're going to want him playing in midfield. I suppose as well, something like almost neatly sort of summed up United's problems, didn't it? But whatever happens in the League Cup has no real bearing on the actual no. proper stuff. And last season, of course, I won the League Cup. They're probably still one of the favourites to wear it this season as well. But, you know, when the, the real sort of tests come, United still aren't up to it. It feels like every season now I see the same stat. It's United's worst league start since XX. This time it's the worst United league start since in 34 years. <laughs> we were scrambling in the press box to find out how how long it was since they've been that bad. Of course, now four defeats from the opening seven, two of those at home as well. You know, Tottenham and Arsenal, I think you can, it's not ideal, but you can make a bit of a case for them. But losing at home to, to Brighton, who have since been thrashed by Aston Villa, we see at the weekend, and Crystal Palace, who, you know, out of all the Crystal Palace's teams we've seen in recent years, is one of the weaker ones of yeah. that as well. What, what can we say going forward then? I mean, what can United actually change? We mentioned there, Rashford's form has been a problem. Ten Hag addressed that this morning midfield not functioning do you give them any sympathy for this injury crisis they've got because they are limited to an extent but ultimately for me the performance hasn't been good enough either it's it's minimal sympathy and that when you looked at that team at the weekend you probably said eight or nine of the players are first teamers or or would be starting in in the united first 11 maybe missing martinez and i mean anthony it's still a bit up in the air whether how long he's actually back in the squad for, depending on the investigations. But he's he's certainly at Ten Hag's first first choice on the right hand side. And okay, they they've not got a left back fit at the moment, and it remains to be seen if Reguilón will be available for the Galatasaray game. I was told before the game on Saturday that they'd have to see how how they manage the risk. And now you think maybe it is worth the risk just because United have lost again at the weekend, and they need points on the board in the Champions League. And I go back to the summer in that although they got the the signings for the key positions they needed to, there were caveats with the personnel in at least two of them. I've not got an issue with them going for Anana. I think the only issue would be if he was if Ten Hag was so convinced he should have been United's number one, why didn't they get him when he was available on a free the previous summer? Because David De Gea was never going to change. But with Mason Mount already those careworn contours that have been on the faces of past deluxe United signings are already etched on his face he's he's had a really poor start to his career at United and he probably epitomised their week more than most and that he was virtuoso for 45 minutes against Palace who treated that League Cup game as an, an irrelevance and an inconvenience and then when the serious stuff starts on the Saturday he, he goes missing and he had a really great chance to equalise and the ball ended up coming off his shoulder and that, that's what pressure does to you and you can imagine what pressure does to someone like Hoyland who's an unknown quantity and then you've got Mount who's what, he's, he's a Champions League winner he's played in a Euros final he's played at a World Cup he's played in FA Cup and League Cup finals he's been Premier League proven for four years but the pressure of United is completely different to the pressure at, at Chelsea and even for England and I always come back to that. Like the, the character is, import, is as important as the quality. And that was the case last season. You saw it. United's mentality was was repaired, it felt like. The way they approached games, how they got through games. In February, they had eight games. Didn't lose any of them. 
knocked out Barcelona, won the League Cup. But since then, it feels like that mentality that they were building up is being it's been eroded little by little, setback by setback. And there have been too many setbacks since they won the League Cup. And it, it came quite quickly as well with the thumping at Liverpool. And although Liverpool didn't win anything last season, finished outside the top four, there's still a side of them that you thought watching them last season that you believe that they would come back with a vengeance this season. And, and so far that has been the case, although they, they were you know, quite amusingly wronged at the weekend and they've, they've become quite conspiratorial about that already. But getting back to... Match. Yeah. Maybe not well, to try to argue that as well for Saturday. It's, 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 like going, it's like playing on FIFA, isn't it? When you've lost and you just you, you, you want to discard it. Yeah, exactly. Rage quit. But um, unfortunately for United, they, they signed a striker who was not going to be a reliable source of goals. And the most reliable source of goals last season has been bang out of form, like disconcertingly out of form to the point that I think he's actually getting worse. Rashford, watching him in these league games since the, 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 the domestic season resumed, was it Brighton, Burnley, and then, of course, at the weekend against Palace, I think his performance level has actually gradually got worse in each one. Some people might say that last season some of those points were masked by the fact he scored goals and you know he's maybe been a bit of a downward spiral since the turn of the year. I think that's harsh to, to say that. I've seen it online myself. But in terms of Russia, then one goal in eight. That was against Arsenal, a game they lost. Brighton and Palace, the two most recent performances, are maybe the most infuriating because there have been opportunities. He's had a lot of the ball. He's had a lot of chances. Mm-hmm. Sometimes guilty of going it alone, not picking out his teammates. As we said, I think on last week's podcast at the start of the week, Maybe an element of that is bad habits from last season where yeah, it is about, of course, in the middle, you feel you've got to do it alone. But what can you solve? Because it does feel like Ten Hag's selection policy. There are some undroppables there, regardless of how badly they perform. And Rashford now, you, you can't make a justifiable case from the start, can you? No, no. I, I said this before the Palace game even, the, the league game that is... Uh, I think it was post Burnley that I don't think you could call him undroppable anymore, just because his performance level has has been that that worrying really for United all, all season. I mean, there have been very few attackers, if any, that have performed at a consistently respectable level, and that's borne out just looking at the goal scoring charts. Casemiro is the top scorer uh, with with four goals. Second top scorer is is Fernandez with with a couple, and then you've just got a lot of players who've, who've just got the one goal to their name. And I think that's the carelessness about United in that last season goals were hard to come by, but they did find a way to win games. And that's what I meant about the character and having the right mentality. There were games where they were able to grind it out. Like Bournemouth away towards the end of last season, they'd had a couple of bad results. Went to Bournemouth where they should win quite easily. They didn't, but they did win 1-0. And they were a step closer to qualifying for the Champions League. They've it doesn't feel like they've improved the attack enough and as I said it is. there are times when you just look at Hoyland and you think this is unfair on you you should be the, the parallel I draw with Hoyland is that you go back 13 years to Javier Hernandez coming in Hoyland is pretty much his equivalent in that Hernandez was 21 when he was unearthed by United he was far more unknown than Hoyland was and he comes into the squad but he's got Rooney to learn off he's got Berbatov to learn off to collaborate with those two as well Hoyland is coming in and he's leading the line. He is the focal point. The alternative is Marshall, who you just saw against you saw against Brighton 
the, the booing that greeted Hoyland's removal, it would have been amplified by the identity of who was coming on to replace him. And also, Hernandez cost six million. Hoyland has cost £66 million more. That's enormous pressure. He's going to be judged as a Manchester United striker. Nobody's going to be saying, well, yeah, he played for Sturm Graz 18 months ago, or it was, it was even sooner than that, in fact. Um, and I guess one aspect of Hoyland is the, the tedious Haaland comparisons are easy because they're named Scandinavian, similar yeah. play style. <clears throat> but Haaland had been... Had proved himself at Dortmund previously, hasn't he? My God, we we knew that Haaland was going to tear it up in the Premier League. Whereas Hoyland, like you said, is a completely different case of being thrown in. It is is a really difficult one now, and it's like you said, it could just get the pressure maybe too much for him in the weeks ahead, and it's going to be a really difficult one for United to solve. Are there any solutions to that forward line here for for United? Because, like you said, Garnacho and Palestri both performed better from the bench. Marshall is Anthony Marshall. Yeah. Rashford's out of form. Anthony's just come back. It would be controversial if he came straight back into the team and was seen as a saviour. Um, he was playing badly as well at yeah. the start of the season. That says it all, doesn't it, really? The fact that we've said it previously, that players who are out of the team get this this sort of inflated status. where Reputational enhancement. Yeah, yeah. What, what can you actually do for you? Because, like you said, in the summer they'd not recruited properly, really. Maybe they did need another forward. But the problem for me for United's output the season was you're, you're relying as a base point Rashford to, to repeat that f- level of performance last season that was bordering world class which he was never really going to do was he? Well that, that that's a I mean it's, it's a really good point that as well and I think in terms of his form I'd say since maybe February it has been an issue because his his goal scoring output in the running was not was not great I think in the League Cup final it wasn't his goal but they gave it to him anyway I think he was on 25 goals for the season at that point, or 26 goals. Then he, in the last, what, three and a bit months of the season, he's getting four or five goals. That's, that's a pretty you know, derisory return. And people will look at it and see that he got a new contract in July and think he's demotivated. Now he doesn't have to be playing for a new contract. We've seen that with so many other players at other clubs as well, that the form does tail off after they get a contract, rightly or wrongly. I mean, United had to tie down Rashford and his form he's, he was in last season and he's become an extremely important player. So Ten Hag is probably extremely frustrated by that because just the look of it is not great. But I think... Look, look at what Gary Neville said at the weekend. Gary Neville said that United need a cultural reset. Again. <laughs> well, this is the thing. You go back four years when they had nine points after seven games and they go into the October internationals in, in, with the mood pretty down. And then United came out, gave us chapter and verse on the cultural reset. You can't come full circle again. This club has come full circle enough. And it doesn't need a cultural reset. I think, if anything... I mean, we talk about the ownership. At least Gary Neville said, I'm not going to go on about the owners, people are bored of it. We, we, we certainly are. But new ownership is absolutely what is needed, whenever that may be. And whoever the, that new owner or the new owners may be, I think it's, it's getting to the point now with United where it feels like it's such a, such a basket case for club that with the stadium, they need to knock it down just as a symbolic act, as much as a logistical one, and then build it back up again because it almost feels like this... It does feel a, a bit of a curse. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there is an element of the curse already get, you know, coming into it. And Ten Hag has shown what a good coach he is, but all of a sudden he's, he's seeming quite confrontational in press conferences, a lot gruffer. He, he can be a really personal bloke, but 
the way he responded to a couple of queries on Friday before the game, that that was someone who is is not necessarily always enjoying being Money United manager at the moment. That's understandable looking at the form. And I guess you could say he has had a lot to deal with off the pitch. He has, yeah. Some some of it is has not been of his own making. Some of it he has contributed to. He wanted Mason Greenwood back in the squad. It would have he really should have looked at that and thought is my life going to be worth this hassle? And it wouldn't have been. But he, for whatever reason, they went down that route and it you know, blew up in their face. But this is the worry with United. I, I was never c- completely convinced that two wins against Burnley and Palace's second, you know, second string side or shadow side w- was evidence that they had absolutely turned a corner. I think to have said that, they'd have had to have won against Palace at the weekend and won these two games this week as well. Get on a really long winning run going into the derby, which is in just under four weeks' time, yeah. isn't it? I get though, because United last season, the backbone of success was sweeping away these sides that should be beaten. It was refreshing because under Solskjaer, it was the opposite, mm. where they, they play well against the big teams and lose at home to Sheffield United, for example. United now seem to have even lost that, that trick. We, we saw it at Burnley, it was a moment of magic from Bruno Fernandes that wins the game. wasn't too much else other than that. Do you think that it is going to be just one of those things where it clicks for United, where they start winning these games again, or do you think it's going to be a theme we see all season, that these can't beat the, the smaller sides again? Well, Ten Hag was asked if he was concerned that what he'd seen so far was that this season is, that's it, they're just going to be inconsistent, and he admitted he was. So if he's admitting that's the case and he's not, he's not coming out with this spill that, you know, results can be misleading, we're doing good work, we'll get there, he's not coming out with that rhetoric, he must be genuinely concerned that United are going to be this maddening to watch this season for their supporters. And it's maddening for us as well because, you know, unfortunately at the weekend because of I think because of that VAR decision at Tottenham and also the Ryder Cup, there didn't feel like a great deal of scrutiny on United. But also Crystal not just says that. But also Crystal Palace winning at Old Trafford is not a shock. Yeah. They have done it three times now in the last just just over four years. Um, all of them coming uh, coming under Roy Hodgson as well. I think it um, it's been so. That's that's where United are at. It it doesn't. I've got to say that to you because because like Gary Neville said, cultural reset, whatever. Do you know maybe interesting to accept now that they, they, this is what they, they are. To let go that we aren't. We in their sense. They are not a title challenging team every year now. They, they can't well, I remember Paul Pogba said this in an interview to, to ESPN and that was probably May May 2018 so that's I mean, well over five years ago we well, I know I know and it's almost like people, there are still people clinging on to the standards of the past but I I don't necessarily go along with that because United have always been for many decades they have been the biggest club in England and if you're the biggest club in England you've got to act like it and you've got to have the honours role to back it up as well and they didn't in the 70s and the 80s, but they, they still gave supporters hope. Yeah. There were still vibrant times. There were still some pretty desperate times as well with the relegation, 74. But then you know, they, they had that captivating season, winning Division 2, then getting to a cup final, then winning the cup final. Right. It felt like even in a decade where they won, they won one trophy, it feel like, felt like just you know, reading about it, watching... Uh, the footage back then, it felt like there was a lot more hope among supporters than there has been in the last decade. Where I think that's partly down to the fact, though, that maybe like a decade ago, you did need to spend loads of money to put things right and to catch up with the, the very top teams. But now United fans, they see how much, how 
far ahead City are. But United have, United, United have spent more than anyone over the last 10 years, and this is what a lot of fans still don't get. They say, well, we want oil money, we want the money to get Mbappe and all this stuff. Because is such a well-earned club. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, they, they are very much rowing back from that whole superstar strategy. You only have to look at their front line now. It's, it's mainly... It mainly comprises of France internationals. It's not Neymar, it's not bling-bling footballers or anything like that. But United have spent an awful lot of money, and it's not how much you spend, it's how you spend it. And City have spent it immaculately. They've had the amount of duds at City in the last 10 years, you could probably count on one hand. And with you know, referenced by a Ten Hag as a threat for Galatasaray, he said Angelino is someone you need to be wary of. Oh yes, yeah, and I mean that, that's that's the thing about City. Like they they re-sign him. He's useless in a couple of key games against Liverpool and United in the only season they don't win the league in the last six years. They sell him quickly in the next window, and of course he contributes to United's elimination from the Champions League with with RB Leipzig. So even when they get it really wrong. There's something to to savour from it, just from that, that you know, the, the, from the Schadenfreude of it all. So that's that's the concern for United. The, they, the concern for United is that there's there's an awful lot to be concerned about, and I suppose he, he's limited. Tenag is limited as to what changes he can make against Galatasaray because of the injuries. But it, I I also go back to last season. The amount of times he affected games with half-time changes. Marshall coming on against Liverpool. Rashford coming on against Wolves. Anthony against Barcelona, Casemiro against West Ham in the FA Cup. Garnacho against City. Garnacho against City. Even, um, even Jane Sancho against Leicester City. The only player who's come on at half-time this season has been Victor Lindelof in three games, peculiarly, for, for various reasons, sometimes in four, sometimes rotational. He needs to get back to that level of being ruthless. Like Luke is on the door at the Old Trafford um, press box who is is a United fan he was saying to me at half time he should get Garnacho on now he said Joel Ward has been booked if you've got Garnacho going at him for 45 minutes chances are he's going to get sent off Garnacho came on too late and when he did come on it would have been more logical given that Palestri was starting to make a bit of headway on the right hand side to leave Palestri on and to take Rashford off because if it, it felt like he was dodging dodging a bit of a, an issue there by just putting Rashford on the right because Rashford on the right does not work. So Rashford was, was, I know it was disciplinary issue that, but you had that ruthlessness and you made him, you proved to me he hadn't got this place in the team for granted. It seems to basically... Yeah, he wasn't, he, he wasn't too proud to say you're not, you're not in the squad today, yeah. he, uh, go back home to, to Manchester or anything like that. He wants involved and it's pretty much the earliest logical point to bring him on. He did bring him on. He got the winning goal. And sometimes sometimes a coach has got the Midas touch and Ten Hag for most months last season, he did. This season, it seems to have deserted him a bit. And he also doesn't... It just doesn't feel like he's being as ruthless as he used to be. Maybe he's expended all his ruthlessness on Ronaldo, on De Gea, on Sancho, and he wants to avoid, avoid a manner of confrontation almost. But... You can't you can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs. Galatasaray then Tuesday night, very important game. Off that is it the buying game. We all expect them to, to lose that match anyway. It was quite resilient, almost Solskjaer esque with all the players missing. That they they almost all off the impossible and got a result. We do think the score like Platter United on on the night itself. The, the yeah, goals. Galatasaray though, it has all the makings of another long night for United, doesn't it? Because as you said, I said that Catalyst, Angelina, Zaha, Icardi, Ziyech, Ziyech, yeah. They've got some very good match winners in their squad, Galatasaray. United are licking their wounds. 
fragile, very beatable now at Old Trafford, but it didn't always used to be. They'll have good, decent yeah. backing as well, United I'd imagine Galatasaray. Right. United right now always remind me of like Wenger's last Arsenal teams, who you, you, you were never surprised when they lost at home in Champions League, no. group station, etc. United really do need to win this game, don't they? Uh, do you think they will? Some were convinced they were going to win against Palace at the weekend. I never saw that as an easy game. Palace have not have, have not been thrashed by United for a good number of years. But I mean, going into this game, it, it is a little bit like Solskjaer's final months where they lost their opening Champions League game against young boys. And then they had Real at home and they, they got away with it. They got a last-minute winner. Real for an hour, 70 minutes were terrific. Arno um, Tanjuma was 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 uh, magnificent. I mean, I don't think Diogo Dallo's had ever had a worse performance for United than than that evening. And United were bowed out by, by David De Gea's goalkeeping and and Alex Tellers of all people um, swinging in an equaliser. And it, it, it does feel a little bit similar to that because the league form then as well was starting to turn. They'd had a defeat against Villa. They were getting lucky in a couple of wins as well and the, the cracks were starting to show. I mean, we should stress, Ten Hag is... The, the terrain's not even frozen. He's not He's not on thin ice. But they really, really do need to win both games this week. They had to they had to win these bank of home games after, after Burnley just to completely steady, you know, steady the ship. And they failed to do that. And it's just a very obvious statement that, yeah, of course they have to win it because you've seen in the past when, irrespective of who they're playing in the Champions League group stage, if it's a negative result, it is going to attract more scrutiny. It doesn't matter who who the opponents are. And if anything, there's maybe more pressure on them to to get a result against a team that is eminently beatable. But although Galatasaray had to qualify to get it, I think they, they got past Mulder. Um, to get to the group stage. When you look at their team and they won the title last season, Juan Mata went out there, Juan Mata barely got a kick. It's not necessarily the retirement home of a club in Turkey that, that people think they are, even though they've got players who are well past their sell-by date. Guys like Icardi, Mirtens, uh, Ziyech, who would be interesting to see how he does, given that he was of interest United last year and they the club actually overruled Ten Hag on, on that one. Be very interesting to see what happens, and that's the problem with the United as well. It is the club where it, anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and it's teed up for Hakim Ziyech to the right wing United always needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who, who ten, who ten Hag made into the player he is at Ajax. Um, so you can imagine, you know, you can imagine the communications sure department. A lot of boxes as well, doesn't he? Um, so, yeah. I mean. Turkish side, Istanbul, perhaps here was the most recent side that I played. We will see what happens, I suppose, at Old Trafford on Tuesday night. I think Sam and I might return for a little segment in a few minutes after we've seen open training on our walk back. But for now, Sam, I mean, the, the players have not emerged just yet, but we have to go the long way around. Yeah. So Samuel, been at open training this morning. The headline news, Anthony and Kobe Maynou both involved in the group. United still have a number of key defenders, though. Do you expect to see either Anthony or Maynou involved against Galatasaray, either of them from the start? You'd think that Anthony, certainly in the squad at the very least, he's, he's not played since the Arsenal game. I don't, I don't think either of them will necessarily start, although Ten Hag is you know, he's, he's quite long to Anthony. By and large, there have been times where he could have dropped in before and he's been reluctant to do so. But I think... If you're a United supporter going to 
tomorrow night, you probably want to see Mejbri come in, maybe Fernandez on the right. And that's how cute. That's how cute to leave. It's been a very well. I mean, if there's a club that makes logical decisions, it is Manchester United. We've we've got here by essentially going on farmland. So, yeah. Right, I'll fetch one off. So that's it for the Manchester is Red podcast today. Like I said, been a bit of a makeshift one from Carrington. Thank you very much, as always, for joining us on the podcast. We will be back later in the week after Manchester United's game with Galatasaray. We'll review that and we'll look ahead to the weekend as well. Thank you very much. Stay tuned and we'll see you again next time.